bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, and my guest this hour is Peter Schiff, who's the president of Euro-Pacific Capital and also the author of a relatively new book called Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks for having me. Let's just start off with your kind of world view here of what's going on in the economy, and then we'll kind of explain how we got there, uh, and then we'll also talk about uh, what people can do to a profit from the coming uh, problems you see. But let's just kind of get an overall sense of your view of, of where the economy stands today. Well, basically, we have a very highly imbalanced global economy where the, the, they're truly productive people around the world, uh, predominantly in Asia, but to a lesser extent in Europeans as well. But the people who are actually involved in, in, in savings and producing are artificially propping up the American economy which has basically uh, turned into a, you know, kind of like an aberration, an economy that really can't exist without the, the support of the rest of the world because over time our ability to produce has diminished and all we've been doing is been borrowing money from the people around the world uh, to pay for the products that they produce. While Americans just, you know, continue to consume without, uh, without producing and, and borrow without savings. And so the world is in Asia. Why are they continuing to do it if this, if this is such a dangerous strategy? Why do the Chinese well, yeah, companies keep buying our? our I don't know. I mean, again, politicians do things, uh, foolish things, for political reasons, and I don't, you know, know all the politics involved of why the Japanese and the Chinese and other Asian countries feel it's so important politically uh, to subsidize the American economy and to try to transfer wealth from their own citizens. To American citizens. I mean, politicians transfer wealth all the time. I mean, and politicians pursue policies that benefit one group over another group. But in general, let's say it's an American politician and they support a farm subsidy. They're transferring wealth from people who consume food to the people who produce it. But at least they're all Americans. Yeah. But here, you know, you have this tremendous transfer uh, of wealth uh, from uh, Asia to the United States. It doesn't really make any sense. Now, there are certain, obviously, there are certain factions. There are probably some entrepreneurs or some businessmen that operate businesses in Japan that might fail if the, if the U.S. economy collapsed. And so those individual entrepreneurs might benefit. But the broader Japanese economy suffers because, you know, they're having to support, you know, 300 million uh, unproductive Americans and a lot of savings that might otherwise be available uh, in Japan is, is diverted here. And a lot of goods that might otherwise have been consumed by the Japanese are now being consumed by Americans. And so, you know, their living standards are diminished. And that's particularly uh, uh, relevant in China, where the you know the average standard of living of the typical uh, Chinese citizen is far lower than it is in Japan, and so they're probably suffering even more. I mean, think of all the consumer goods that the Japanese would enjoy, uh, but were not for Americans who are consuming these goods in their place. Mm-hmm. You know, and think of all the savings that could be invested uh, prudently in in, in in China that are instead squandered uh, on American consumption. Now, you're saying one of the results of this imbalance is the U.S. dollar has been declining. Right, it hasn't been declining enough. The problem is the U.S. dollar hasn't declined enough. I mean, the the imbalances are being created 
by foreign central banks. If you look at money supply around the world, money supply growth is expanding dramatically because central banks around the world are trying to prop the dollar up. So they have to debase their own currencies. And so there's inflation being created around the world. And it's particularly problematic in Asia. Uh, in Japan, for example, or in China, I mean, th- th- that's where the problems are the most acute, uh, where they're creating money, you know, the most rapidly. And you have, you know, you have China creating a bubble, uh, in their own stock market because, uh, the Chinese citizens need a, a way to escape the yuan because the government in China is debasing it so dramatically to keep it from rising against the dollar. Mm-hmm. So what is the impact? Americans probably don't see impact of that declining dollar? I mean, how much has the dollar declined, and what is the impact on America? Well, we certainly see it. I mean, oil is $71 a barrel and rising, and that's a function of the weak dollar. I mean, when people go to the checkout counter now and they, and they in the supermarket and they see how much more expensive food is, uh, that's because of the weakness in the dollar. So, I mean, Americans are are feeling it. Uh, they're just going to feel it a lot more because the dollar is going to get a lot weaker. And a lot of the price increases that are going to result from a weak dollar have been, have yet to be put through. That is going to happen. Eventually, Americans are going to see it more in interest rates, in home mortgages, for example. I mean, one of the reasons that long-term rates have been rising is because of the dollar and, and, and our necessity to attract uh, foreign lenders. And that's going to continue. And I think you're going to see Within the next couple of years, mortgage interest rates could exceed 10%. And so the reason they're going to be so much higher is going to be because of the weakness of the dollar. So Americans are going to feel it across the board. you know, And it's going to result in a much, much lower standard of living uh, for Americans because you know their savings will have less value, their, their, their wages will have less value, things are going to cost a lot more, uh, products, you know, not only food and energy, but you know, pretty much any products that we consume are going to be much more expensive because we're paying for them with dollars of diminished value. And you know, as the dollar goes down, that means these very products, as they're becoming more expensive for Americans, are becoming less expensive for everybody else. And that's part of the problem because we have to compete with consumers in other countries. And as their currencies get higher and higher, they can afford to pay higher prices for products. So and, and also gives them more buying power to buy American assets cheaper. To sure, yeah, they get to buy assets out from under us, which is not a good thing. You know, we lose those assets and the incomes that they generate. The argument you hear from Washington is, first of all, the budget deficit is coming down dramatically. It's going to be like $150 billion this year, down from $300 billion because the economy is so strong it's producing a huge amount of revenues. And the trade deficit, while large, isn't actually that bad because... Uh, it shows that the economy is strong. We're, we're pulling in a lot of demand from overseas. So yeah, remember, this is all a bunch of nonsense. I mean, these politicians are in office, A, because they're good liars. That's how they got elected in the first place. If they had been honest, they probably wouldn't have been elected. Uh, but, you know, they're not trying to, you know, say the truth. They're just trying to, you know, convince the public that things are great so they'll get reelected. So they're not they're not honestly assessing what's going on. Number one, number two, their their arguments are nonsense. I mean, yeah, the budget deficit might not be as bad as it as, as it was a couple of years ago. Of course, they don't count a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff in there that they don't count. But sure, you know, there is a lot of taxes being collected right now in this bubble economy. Bubble economies produce a lot of taxes. Remember, there's a lot of tax revenues during the 1990s when we had the stock market bubble. So uh, the U.S. government has collected more taxes, but not because the economy is strong, but because we are in this bubble 
uh, with a lot of leverage, and, and, and there are there is a lot of taxes. But all that tax revenue is going to go away when the bubble bursts, and you start to see real estate prices collapsing, stock market going down. All of a sudden, you know, the government is going to have a much, much bigger deficit. And also, you know, as interest rates go up, you know, the national debt is financed with treasury bills now. So whenever interest rates go up, the cost of, of financing a $9 trillion debt goes up dramatically. Mm-hmm. And that all impacts the budget deficit. Now, of course, the trade deficit, I mean, that's, that's the most ridiculous. And I talk about, I write about that a lot in my book, uh, trying to debunk all the myths about why a, a trade deficit is a good thing. You know, and the corollary to that must mean a trade surplus is a bad thing. So I guess the rest of the world that's operating a surplus, they're doing something wrong. Well, I guess I said we had a trade surplus in the 1930s, and that was what caused the depression. That's the the obverse of that. That a trade surplus causes the depression? We had a trade surplus in the depression because we had smooth well, that's, and various things like that. Yeah, well, that's that's faulty logic to just you know they're not related. I mean, you know, you're, you're, a trade surplus is, is is the equivalent of a corporation operating a profit. A trade deficit is the equivalent of a corporation op- operating at a loss. Yeah. And so a, tra- a surplus is never a bad thing when you're talking about trade. I mean, you want to you w- you want to earn more on your exports than what you pay for your imports. I mean, that's that, that's that's a positive thing. Assuming that you, then you take the difference and you invest it. You see, when you have trade surpluses, you accumulate financial assets. You know, you accumulate wealth around the world. When you have a trade deficit, you accumulate liabilities. You're borrowing money. You're going into debt. Yeah. And, and so it's certainly preferable, either on an individual basis or on a national basis, to accumulate assets. That's what the Chinese you, are doing, for example. Yes, but unfortunately now for the Chinese, a lot of the assets they're accumulating are American IOUs, which are basically worthless because we can't pay. You know, and once they realize that, you know, that's when it's going to hit the fan. You know, as long as the Chinese think that they're accumulating assets, they're willing to continue to do this. But once they realize, and maybe they've already realized it, that They've, that we already owe the world so much money that it's impossible for us to repay. Uh, you know, they have to, you know, they're going to stop doing this. They're going to stop lending us money. Do so you think one day they'll, they'll wake up and say we don't want to do this anymore and that will cause yeah. a crisis? Or will this be a well, I think it's going to happen soon. I mean, we're already at that point. I mean, we're starting to see, you know, the unraveling of the real estate bubble. Yeah. And, and the, the U.S. economy is not going to be able to withstand that. I mean, that's, you know, our economy is, you know, 70, percent plus consumption and that consumption has been made possible by the real estate bubble and now that that bubble is deflating all the consumption that went along with it is going to go away too you know it was there were there were basically three factors that enabled Americans to spend way more than they earned uh, one was the teaser rates that existed for a while when the fed funds rate was one and a quarter and people were able to refinance using adjustable rate mortgages and temporarily reduce rather substantially their largest monthly expenditure other than income taxes for their home mortgage. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, provided a boon because people now, let's say a thousand or two or three thousand a month that used to go to a mortgage payment was now available to spend. And so that temporarily propped up the economy as measured by, you know, GDP numbers. Then you had the home equity extractions where people could literally, you know, borrow 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 or more against their homes and buy things. Uh, and so that helped the economy, uh, or at least the GDP. And then uh, we had the ability, uh, you know, you had the negative, the wealth effect, whereas people looked at their house rising in value, anticipated that those increases would continue forever, and, and then they felt 
there was no reason for me to save. And so one of the reasons that our savings rate was negative is because homeowners felt that savings were no longer necessary because they owned a home and they were going to retire off their accumulated home equity. They didn't need to do it the old-fashioned way by saving. And so all of that uh, temporarily allowed Americans to spend a lot of money and borrow a lot of money, and uh, all that's ending. You know, the home equity is vanishing. Uh, interest rates are rising, so mortgages are resetting. Uh, and people are going to start saving again if they can, but they're going to certainly try. But, I mean, this thing is going to unravel, and you have real estate prices that are going to get cut in half uh, or more uh, in, in many markets in California, you know, in, I've seen Arizona and Nevada, in the Northeast, down in Florida. I mean, people are going to be, you know, prices are going to get halved. I mean, people are going to be living in houses that are worth half their mortgages. Yeah, I mean, people's, I mean, people's biggest asset is all of a sudden going to be their largest liability. I mean, this is going to be, I mean, most Americans are going to have a negative net worth. I mean, this is going to be huge. Yeah, and it hurts the mortgage companies as well. And you're well, they're going to, well, the mortgage companies are going out of business. Yeah. And a lot of people that own the mortgage paper, whether it's these Bear Stearns hedge funds or anybody else, uh, people are going to lose a lot of money because the people who borrowed this money can't possibly pay it back. You know, and they knew that going in. I mean, that was part of the whole mania and the whole subprime mortgage and, and all the stated income mortgages and nothing down was that we created a situation where people would lie about their incomes and lie about their assets and commit to mortgages that they knew they couldn't afford to pay because they had nothing to lose because they put nothing down and because everybody thought they were going to get rich if they just bought a house. And it didn't matter that if the condo you were paying a million dollars for was worth 500000 a couple of years earlier, it didn't matter because it was going to go up. And even if it didn't go up, who cares because you put nothing down, you know. It's an amazing so. change. Okay, we're about to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my uh, guest this hour is Peter Schiff, uh, who's the president of Europe Pacific Capital. Uh, his new book is called Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. We'll be back after this. We'll tell you more about what's going to happen in the economy and then how you can profit from it. We'll be back after this. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Peter Schiff, who's the president of Euro-Pacific Capital, based in uh, Connecticut. His uh, new book is called Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. Welcome back, Peter. Okay, I'm here. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the real estate uh, situation. Before all this started unraveling, when, when the times were good, back in 2003 through 2000, early six, basically, uh, you said this was a bubble that was about to burst. Nobody wanted to believe you at that point. Uh, yeah, you know, I basically laid it out exactly the way it was unfolding. I mean, I talked about the fact that, that the lending standards were thrown out the window. I talked about the fact that people were lying, that people were buying, biting off more than they can chew, that it was a mania, that the prices were unrealistic, whether, you know, they were relating them to the incomes of the borrowers or the rental, you know, the rental equivalents on the properties. You know, uh, the prices were so out of line with fundamentals, and I can see what was going on, and and, and the securitization processes, and the moral hazards, and the frauds involved in the uh, in in the foreclosures, and in the whole you know securitization process with the subprime mortgage originators, and and the way Wall Street was packaging these things. I mean, I could see it coming from a mile away that it was going to be a complete disaster. But, um, but you know, no one. You know, the politicians. You know, now they make a big deal about it. Oh no! You know, predatory lending. We need to crack down on this. I mean, where were they? Uh, you know, when they could have actually done something about it. You know, they didn't. They didn't want to upset the apple cart. Just like when the Nasdaq bubble was inflating, and I was saying the same things in 1998, 1999. You know, the, nobody came. No one wanted to talk about it until the bubble burst. Yeah. You know. So let's go through the scenario now. We have uh, home values falling. Uh, we've got subprime mortgages uh, getting foreclosed upon and you know, being delinquent all over the place. Uh, the recent Bear Stearns collapse of their subprime hedge fund, you think, is the beginning. So kind of take us from, from now well, I mean, what's going to happen? Look, our economy is going to implode. Okay, consumption is going to fall off the edge of a cliff because Americans aren't going to have any money to spend. Whatever money they have is going to go to making interest payments on their homes or other you know, money that they borrowed. It's going to go to food. It's going to go to energy. It's going to go for insurance and taxes. But the average American family is not going to have any money left over for anything. And so they're going to start cutting back on, on just about everything that they do, whether it's eating in restaurants or their cable television or their cell phones or their health club memberships or vacations or buying new furniture, buying cars, buying consumer electronics. All that consumption is going to stop. And what will that and, do to corporate and, profits? Huh? 
What will that do to corporate profits? Well, any corporations involved in, 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 in those areas, those profits are going to evaporate as well. But and, and what's also going to hurt corporate profits is higher interest rates because not only are they going to collect less money from their customers, but they're going to have to pay higher interest rates on the money they've borrowed. It's going to be particularly onerous for some of these private equity guys. Uh, so this is going to be a real collapse in the U.S. economy. There's going to be widespread unemployment uh, because you know so many people in America have a job where that job depends on discretionary spending of other Americans, well, that's going to go away. And uh, and all this is going to be happening. The dollar is going to be collapsing. Foreigners are going to be trying to yank their money out of dollars uh, because they, they want to get off a sinking ship. As the dollar is falling, it's going to send both consumer prices and interest rates sharply higher. So at the same time, we're going to be in a recession where people are losing their jobs, where stock prices are falling, where real estate prices are falling. Uh, the price of, of, of ga- gasoline is going to keep rising. The price of food is going to keep rising. And interest rates are going to keep rising. So it's just going to make it worse. And the Federal Reserve is not going to be able to cut interest rates to soften the recession. They're going to have to raise interest rates, you know, uh, throwing gasoline on the fire. And the budget deficit is going to be spiraling out of control. Who knows what the government's going to do? They're not going to be able to cut taxes. I mean, they're going to have to raise taxes, but it's going to be very difficult to raise taxes on unemployed people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a real mess. I mean, it, it might what might happen is the government ends up defaulting on a lot of its debt. I mean, certainly, I think a lot of the agency debt or these quasi agencies like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, all that debt's going to default. I and mean, I think that the federal government will probably not bail them out. But if they try to bail it out, then it's a bigger disaster because they don't have any money to bail it out. I mean, what are they going to do? All they can do is print it. The Chinese, I guess, is what it comes well, to. Well, no, the Chinese aren't going to lend us anymore. They're going to want the money back they've already lent us. The, the world's going to want to get paid back. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. I mean, it's all, it's all a fiction. It's just like, you know, this, this Bear Stearns. You know, Bear Stearns has these hedge funds, have these mortgage-backed securities that are basically worthless. But they all pretend that they have some value. But then, of course, when some of the, the shareholders want their money back, they actually have to try to sell them. And then they find out they're worthless. Well, you've got you know investors around the world and central banks that own U.S. treasuries and U.S. dollars, and they all claim they're worth something because nobody tries to sell them. But the minute anybody wants to get out, then we'll, then you know, then we find out the dollar is just as worthless as these the, the subprime paper because there's not going to be any buyers. There are some uh, signs already. For example, uh, Iran is taking euros for oil, and I think those were... Look, two con- look uh, Syria and Kuwait, just in the last month or so, dumped the dollar. Their currencies used to be pegged to the dollar, now they're not. You know, the dollar's percentage, uh, you know, as a reserve currency, the dollar is now at, at its lowest percentage of, of foreign reserves ever, and it continues to fall. Uh, so the dollar is becoming less and less important, and eventually it won't be the reserve currency, and it might not, and it might happen soon. What and then, and then, then America is screwed because America, our only, the only reason our phony economy is able to sustain itself is because we can take dollars that we print and exchange them for the goods everybody else produces. And the minute the world won't take our IOUs for their stuff, you know that's it because we can't make the stuff ourselves because we don't have the factories anymore. Now, has this happened in history in the past? I mean, are you comparing this to, like, the Roman Empire, or when has this happened similar? Well, there have always been great, uh, you know, societies, whether it's Rome or, or the British Empire or the Spanish Empire. You know, civilizations have risen and fallen, and it's usually for the same types of reasons. And, again, you know, America 
uh, is the same. I mean, we became a wealthy nation the old-fashioned way, and then, you know, once you become rich, there are a lot of ways to dissipate your wealth. I mean, and, you know, and you don't have to be, you know, a global empire. I mean, look what happened to Argentina, you know, uh, the, the same situation. I mean, so we're going to suffer the, the fate that has, you know, people have suffered, you know, since the dawn of time. Uh, you know, but it, it, it could be on a much grander scale. I mean, I don't think I don't think any other people have digging themselves collectively into such a deep hole. You know, now maybe, maybe for several you know. years, right? I mean, and, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't. There's, I don't think the other empires have, have, have uh, you know, have, have gone to this extreme mm-hmm. uh, to the extent that we have. And I, so I, and I, you know, I, we were, you know, our economy was very, you know. Uh, you know, relative to the rest of the world was, was enormous. I mean, I think it's going to be something even similar to, but on the, even on a bigger scale to the Soviet Union. Because the Soviet Union, it wasn't too long ago that the Soviet Union was this giant superpower that everybody feared and every, you know, it was, and, and all of a sudden it was gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, uh, nobody worries about, really worries about the so- Russia anymore. I mean, I mean uh, you know, the whole thing crumbled. And, and the same thing's going to happen in the United States. Not necessarily that, that, that you know, the states are going to break apart into separate countries, but that, you know, America is, the way people around the world think of and look at America is going to change. You know, it's just going to be just another country. Mm-hmm. And it might be just another poor country. Who knows? But it's not going to be this giant superpower. It's not going to be, you know, the main influential economy in the world. It's going to be another country. One of the areas you talk about in your book, uh, Crash Proof, is uh, credit card debt and consumer debt particularly. How is that going to impact particularly the amount of rising debt? This is separate from the mortgage situation. I mean, well, that's indicative of, of, of the poor state of our economy and, and also why we got into this mess in the first place. And that, you know, you shouldn't borrow to consume. I mean, consumer debt is a huge waste, and it's very dangerous to a market economy. The whole purpose of savings is to finance investment, is to finance production. But when that that savings is is um, is reallocated to consumption, it, it's a tremendous waste for society. And you know the difference. You know when when people borrow to make for an investment, that they there's an asset that's acquired, and the asset produces income that's able to retire the debt. And presumably the asset you know benefits society, and that the asset maybe it's a factory, it produces products that consumers want, it provides employment for people. I mean, it's good use of, of credit. But when somebody goes and borrows money and just buys a television set, I mean, it doesn't doesn't do anything. I mean, you know, and, and now the person has a television set, but they owe money. How are they going to pay it back? I mean, they're not operating a theater out of their living room. They're not charging admission for people to watch that TV. The television doesn't generate any income. Or even worse, a vacation or meal or something that's consumed. Or whatever. It's a consumer good. It's gone. Yeah. And so now it has to be paid back. I mean, so when, when basically when you borrow money to consume, that means that, you know, whatever you've consumed costs more because now you've got to pay back all the money and you've got to pay the interest. I mean, basically all this consumption that's been done on borrowed money is ultimately going to be paid for by tremendous declines in future consumption. We're just, you know, we're spending ourselves into oblivion. And anybody knows that. I mean, any family knows that. You don't just put every, you know, if you borrow money and take out a mortgage and use credit cards, I mean, you're not building a future. You're, you're destroying your future. The way you build a brighter future is you don't spend everything you earn. You save. You invest. You build up a nest egg. We have to go to break, actually. Okay. Thank you very much. This has been very interesting so far. Uh, this is Peter Schiff, 
uh, president of Europe Pacific Capital, also the author of Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse, and we'll be back after this. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be success over and over again, and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daily. Broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow. Learn the rules of the game. Then play better than anyone else. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman on The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Peter Schiff, who is the president of Euro-Pacific Capital, uh, based in Connecticut. Uh, His new book is called Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. Welcome back, Peter. Thanks. We've talked about uh, the coming collapse that you talk about, where all this debt that's been issued is going to come crashing down, and home values are going to fall, and the uh, consumer credit bubble is going to be uh, kind of collapsing, the budget deficits are going to be going up. This is all a very cheery kind of scenario here, but I'd like to now talk about, if you believe that, uh, what you should be doing as an investor to, as you put it in your book, survive and thrive. Um, well, the first thing you have to understand is how this is going to, you know, change uh, America's place in the world and America's relative uh, wealth and uh, our ability to consume. See, Americans collectively are going to become a lot poorer. See, what we initially, you know, Americans became the wealthiest people in the world because we produced the most. We made everything. All the cars were made here. All the television sets were made here. All the washer dryers. I mean, all. I mean, everything that everybody wanted 
you know, whether you were European or whether you're Latin American, whatever anybody wanted, we made it. And so in order to get it, people needed our currency, they needed the dollar. And so Americans became the wealthiest people because we produced everything. We deserved it. We, you know, we saved, we produced, we had free markets, you know, low taxes, low regulations. We were able to exceed where others couldn't. Uh, but recently, uh, what we've been able to do is, uh, you know, we've been borrowing. We've been borrowing a lot of money. Uh, the rest of the world, the rest of the world is producing, and and we're consuming. The rest of the world is saving, and, and we're borrowing. And so we're living an artificial uh, standard, right? An artificial standard of living. Mm-hmm. Um, we're living beyond our means. The rest of the world, at the same time, is living below their means. Uh, they're producing more than they consume. They're saving more than they borrow. And so when when this changes, right? America's standard of living is going to be reduced, brought back into line with the, our low level of production. Yeah. And and so what's going to happen, in, or the way that's going to change, or the way that's going to be brought about, is going to be in a realignment of exchange rates. So the dollar is going to fall sharply relative to other currencies. And that's going to simultaneously make things more expensive for Americans and less expensive for everybody else. And so, for example, right now Americans consume 50% of the world's gasoline. Well, when the dollar collapses, we're not going to consume 50% of the world's gasoline anymore. We're not going to be able to afford it. Gasoline is going to get very expensive for Americans. At the same time, it's going to get very cheap for the Chinese. All of a sudden, the Chinese, you know, a typical Chinese citizen who's riding a bicycle because he can't afford gasoline, all of a sudden, the dollar collapses against his currency. Now gasoline is cheap. All of a sudden, he can afford it. So he can use gas. But now that gas is no longer available for an American because now he can't afford to pay $20 a gallon or $30 a gallon or whatever gasoline is going to be. This is because gasoline is denominated in dollars for the Chinese. Right. But, going yes, it'll be going down. Yes, it'll be going down. And that's the, that's the case for just about everything, you know. But even even if there's a product that's manufactured here in America, if you can find such a product, uh, if the dollar collapses, they can export that product. So instead of selling it to an American, they'll just ship it and sell it to someone in Germany or someone in Japan. They don't have to sell it to an American. But now if an American wants that product, he has to be willing to give the manufacturer something competitive to what he can get in Europe. And so when the dollar collapses, everything gets more expensive for us. We consume a lot less, and, you know, we have a much lower standard of living. We're poor people, and that's what's going to happen. But as an investor, once you understand this, at least you can reposition your own savings and your own investments so that you don't own the currency that's going to collapse, and you gain, you own the currencies that are going to be on the receiving end of this transfer of purchasing power. So you want to denominate your investments in euros, in Singapore dollars, in Australian dollars. And, you know, by the way, today, as we speak, the New Zealand dollars at an all-time record high. The Australian dollars at a 20-something year high. The British pounds at a 26-year high. I mean, you know, the euro is almost at an all-time high, not quite. But the dollar is getting clobbered across the board. And when that happens, how Americans... How people should position themselves to get into this? How could the average American get into those currencies? Well, I mean, it's, you know, if they have a brokerage account with Euro-Pacific Capital, it's pretty easy. I mean, we're what we're doing with thousands of individual Americans is we're helping them directly access a foreign markets. We're helping people invest in European uh, shares, in Asian shares, in Australian or Canadian shares directly on those markets. And the, the key is, and, and my philosophy has been, look, you know, don't try to buy very aggressive companies. We buy a lot of conservative companies such as utilities, whether they're electric utilities or oil and gas. We buy pipelines and refineries. 
and you know um, food companies, uh, supermarkets, restaurants, um, basic basic businesses, a lot of real estate, a lot of commercial property trusts, things that pay good dividends. But the most important thing is that the dividends or the, the income is earned and the dividends paid in other currencies. You don't want to own assets that are earning income in dollars because that income is going to be of diminished value. You want to have these foreign assets. And so let's assume somebody has a million dollars in a, in, a, in a portfolio of foreign stocks that's yielding 7%. Let's say they're getting 70000 a year in income. But if the dollar loses 90% of its value, well, now all of a sudden they don't have a million dollars in foreign stocks. They have $10 million. And they're not earning $70,000 a year. They're earning $700,000 a year. And so what happens is you're able to maintain your purchasing power. So if the dollar were to collapse by that amount, you know, instead of, you know, having the same number of dollars, now you have, you know, you have 10 times as many. But now you can afford to pay five or 10 times as much for the things that you want to buy. Whereas your neighbor won't be able to afford those things anymore because he had his money in the U.S. and he didn't get the, he didn't, he didn't compound his dollars as, as it collapsed because he owned them. Tell us a little bit about Europe Pacific Capital and, and what services you offer and how to uh, contact your, your company. I mean, we're an old-fashioned uh, brokerage firm. Uh, other than the fact that you know, you know, we're, we're, we don't see things uh, the way most firms do, but we work, you know, mainly on commissions and we help individuals buy stocks and we give people advice and help them, you know, choose uh, the best stocks or the stocks that you know w- w- will do the best given my outlook. And, um, and what is your phone number and website? Yeah, well, my website is www.europac, E-U-R-O-P-A-C dot net, europac dot net. Um, I do my own weekly radio show uh, on my website, which people can hear on the Internet and on shortwave on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. And um, I have a newsletter, a free newsletter that people can subscribe to on my website. There's a lot of economic commentary there. Uh, and a, a lot of you, people can go back and look at what I was saying, writing two and three years ago and four years ago and saying and see how accurate many of the predictions that I've made have already been. And, and of course, you know, they can, you know, contact and speak to a broker specifically about some of my ideas and the stocks that I recommend. Uh, the, the phone number to call is 800 727-7922, Now let's talk about precious metals a little bit, because one of you places you think is going to benefit from the collapse of the dollar uh, is a rise in gold and silver. But why is that going to happen, and, and how would you play that specifically? Well, I think that you know gold has been money for thousands of years, and, and every once in a while uh, the world kind of experiments with money substitutes. And such is the case right now, where uh, a lot of these currencies are circulating in place of money. Uh, you know, the euro isn't money. Uh, the dollar isn't money. It's a money substitute. Uh, you know, because money has to have intrinsic value, and, and, and a fiat currency has none. I mean, it's just made by a government. But over the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, there's been a lot of confidence, I think a lot of misplaced confidence, in, 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 in governments, in financial institutions, in the, in the ability of a government to offer a, 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 a currency on par with, with gold, something that, you know, will maintain value over time. And, uh, I think what's gonna happen is over the next few years, more and more people around the world are going to lose confidence. They're going to understand that, uh, central banks are gonna abuse their privilege and they're going to create a lot of currency that inflation is going to run out of control. 
uh, that when the government reports inflation, uh, they lie, uh, that they have a reason to lie about it, you know, most particularly in the United States with the CPI, that we're not giving out a factual information, that we're, we're debasing our money and lying about the extent to which we're doing it to fool the public. And I think more and more people are going to begin to distrust government, distrust their numbers, and distrust central banks. And there will be people returning to something real. They're not going to want money substitutes. They're going to want the real thing. They're not going to want to own a, some, a piece of paper that governments can print into oblivion. They're going to want to own something real. They're not going to want to own some other somebody else's liability and someone else's promise. And, and so I think gold is going to become a far more uh, accepted and sought after and held around the world by individuals, by institutions, by governments, instead of dollars, instead of uh, euros or other currencies, instead of yen. So gold is now about $650 an ounce or thereabouts. Where, where do you see it going over the next two to three years? Oh, I mean, it's, I, I see gold going multiples of its current price. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how many thousands of dollars per ounce gold is going to be, but, you know, if you look at the Dow Jones right now at about 13500 know that in the last century uh, there were two times where the, the Dow Jones was worth more than 20 ounces of gold, 1929 and 1966, and then and then it, most recently, you know, 2000 and, and, and now. We're now worth about 19 ounces. Mm-hmm. But um, And then immediately following those periods, uh, in 1932 and 1980, the Dow was only worth one ounce of gold. And, and so there is a lot of precedent for the Dow going from 20 ounces of gold to one ounce of gold. And, and, and I think that it's likely to happen again. So the question is, where will they meet? And it doesn't really matter as long as the ratio is one-to-one. But if the Dow is at 13,000 right now, that ratio can, 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 can meet as if gold prices went to 13,000. Now, maybe they won't go to 13,000. Maybe they'll go to 5,000. And maybe the Dow will go down to 5,000. And the same thing will happen. But I think it's a pretty good benchmark uh, that, you know, I think that that's the potential for gold. I think gold has the potential of equaling the Dow, wherever the Dow happens to be at the time. Okay. Uh, after this break, we're going to come back and maybe get more specific about ways to play gold that you think would be good. Uh, again, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Peter Schiff, who's the president of uh, Europe-Pacific Capital. Uh, his book is called Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. And we'll be back after this with some more details on how to play the coming economic collapse, including gold. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. 
Achieve total wealth management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel channel the winner's attitude switch me on the bottom line in business voice america business You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Peter Schiff, who's the president of Europe Pacific Capital in Connecticut. Uh, his book is called Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. Welcome back to the show, Peter. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we were talking about gold uh, and why gold is going to be going up into the thousands of dollars an ounce while the U.S. dollar is going to be falling. Maybe give us some specifics of the kinds of ways that you would play gold. Well, I mean, you can obviously, you know, own the physical metal itself. is probably the most conservative way to go about it. And, you know, you can own the coins in your possession. You can have them stored. I mean, we, we've been helping our clients uh, uh, buy precious metals uh, through the Perth Mint in Australia, which I think is a very convenient uh, way to have gold stored for you at no cost in an offshore facility, which is owned by the government of Western Australia. So, uh, you know, that's one of the ways that, you know, clients of Europe's capital can go about buying physical gold bullion. Of course, you can also accumulate gold bullion by trading uh, the exchange-traded funds. There's a couple of ETFs uh, that hold gold or claim to hold gold, and uh, assuming that the gold holdings are accurate in their accounting, uh, then it's the same thing. So you think that's a good way to go, the ETFs, then? I mean, I think it's better to own it yourself because you know you actually have it. Yeah. Because the ETF, you're just accepting somebody's assurances, uh, you know, that it's there. And you know, look, I mean, look what you know, look what the accountant said about Enron. I mean, just because somebody says yes, I audited it, and they have all this gold. Well, what if it's not really there? I mean, I don't know what the odds are that there's fraud going on, but if you certainly own it yourself, there's, there's one less chance. And you know, you know what you got. Well, the mining stocks, I mean, are a way to speculate, and there's a lot more risk inherent when you buy a mining stock because, I mean, you're accepting all the risks of a company. You know, when you own gold, you own it. When you own a mining stock, you own a business. The business happens to be mining. Uh, but, you know, the rewards are dramatic. I mean, certainly the potential to make money in mining stocks exceeds the potential to make money in gold itself. So it's a trade-off. You know, it depends on, you know, how much risk you're willing to assume to try to make those spectacular returns. But if, if gold prices go up five times, uh, it's possible that gold stocks can go up 50 or 100 times, you know, depending on the stock. Yeah, there's a lot of leverage. There's a lot more things that can happen. Uh, you know, and so it depends on, on how you want to play it. Do you want to, I look at gold bullion, uh, 
more as a way to preserve your wealth, to protect your wealth. Uh, gold stocks is a way to try to augment your wealth. But of course, you you might end up you might end up losing. What would be some of your favorite gold stocks? Some of the bigger, more conservative ones. Well, I mean, everybody knows the bigger ones. I mean, I don't usually like to get into individual stocks. I mean, but I mean, all the big name stocks. What people have to remember is when they're dealing with gold stocks is if you want. I mean, you've got basically three types of stocks. You can buy the senior producers, the real big mining companies, right? You know, you got your Newmont Mining or or, or Barrick or Anglo Gold or Goldfields or you know, can, these are like major, you know, the biggest companies that they have, and they have lots of gold in the ground, and they're and they're earning money, they're paying dividends, and so you know, those you know are are the least risky of the gold stocks. Then you have your you know your mid tier companies, you know, uh, they're not as large as the other ones. A lot of times they're not paying dividends, but they have a lot of gold. They're in production, they have earnings, you know. Then you got your juniors, which are much smaller producers, but they have you know they actually have gold, and you know. Um, and, and then, you know, there's another class, which is really exploration-type companies that might that don't have any gold. They might never find any gold. They're just looking for gold. And and there's all sorts of ways. Obviously, those are the most speculative. So you would have a little bit but, of each of those, then? Yeah. I mean, it depends. And you take, you know, you, you, turn, you take a, a portfolio and you decide how much do I want to speculate with, because this is a chance for somebody to really make a lot of money. I think it's... You know, it's it, the, the market is way undervalued. There's been a lack of investment in mining and in gold exploration for years. I think the shortages are going to be dramatic. And you know, a lot of people think you know gold's a relic. I mean, it's it's it, you know, it's. I think that gold. There's never been a time in history probably where gold has been more appropriate than it is right now. Nor has it been more easy to utilize in monetary transactions. I mean, think about it. I mean, think about the ease with which we can transact in gold today versus even, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, let alone 100 years ago or 200 years ago. I mean, if you can physically, you know, with ETFs or with debit cards and, and, and with the Internet, I mean, people can walk into a secure depository or like a major bank, let's say, and, and, and have you know, 100 ounces of gold, 1,000 ounces of gold on deposit for them, and they can just get a debit card, and they can go and spend it. They can spend a gram at a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of how much easier it is today uh, than it was uh, in the past, where you, you really, you know, that you couldn't have even small denomination gold coins, so you had to use copper or, or nickel or some other coins, and you had to carry it around. Do you like? Silver I mean, it's very. I mean, this is this is really gold's time to shine. You know. Do you like silver as well as investment? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a long history of silver being a monetary metal, and you can look at historic ratios between the price of gold and the price of silver, and those ratios would suggest that silver is very inexpensive relative to gold, and the precious metals in general are very inexpensive relative to base metals such as copper and zinc and lead and, and nickel and things like that. So you're you're more in favor of the precious metals because the base metal. Yeah, I'm looking for it as a monetary, a monetary instrument. I think gold will be remonetized. I think gold will be sought after for its monetary functions, mm-hmm. and and there'll be a monetary premium back in in gold. And I think I think you know so gold prices are going a lot higher. If if that's the case, I mean I'm not looking for gold demand to be there because of some new industrial use. Or because of ex, you know, because of more jewelry demand, I think it's going to be for investment demand from savers, from not only individuals. If you look around the world at governments, the percentage of gold uh, in foreign in, in reserves is at an all-time record low. I mean, foreign central banks have been selling gold for years. They need to start buying it back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think lose confidence in the dollar. You're saying, yeah. Yeah, or they they need to have something real 
backing up their currency, not just some other paper currency. I mean, when you go to somebody and say, "Well, yeah, you know, I, you know, my currency is the, you know, is the euro." Well, what's what backs it up? What's what's your reserves? Well, I got dollars. Well, what the hell's that? I mean, you have to have something real. Yeah. Now, you, know? you also talk in the last chapter of your book, uh, Crash Proof. Uh, how to survive and thrive by staying liquid. Uh, what are some of the ways that people should stay liquid outside of Well, maybe, yeah, you've got to have a lot of liquidity, but liquidity shouldn't be U.S. dollars because, I mean, the dollar, who knows what that's going to be worth. So to the extent that you have liquidity, I mean, gold is, is liquidity, uh, bullion, uh, but also uh, deposits, foreign foreign money markets, foreign short-term government bonds, you know. You know, you can be liquid in euros. You can be liquid in in, in Australian dollars, you know. You don't need to be liquid in U.S. currency. Mm-hmm. So you can still have assets, you know, because when you, a very liquid asset is not going to get marked down. See, the problem is when you have everything in stocks, and if there's a major collapse, and even a lot of stocks go down, and you have to sell, and there's not a lot of buyers, you might get a really rotten price for the asset you're trying to sell. But if you have some real liquidity, foreign exchange, those markets are so liquid and, and that... If you need to get out, you're not going to have to, you know, you're not going to pay a price. You're not going to, you know, it's like if you if you own a house and all of a sudden you got to move and you've got to sell it in a week, right? I mean, you're not going to get a great price. I mean, if you if you unless there happens to be a buyer that's there, but if you just have to sell it, you know, you get in, you know, you you're not going to get a good a price if you can list it and wait six months for the right guy to come along. Yeah. But you know, but if, so if you have some liquidity, then if there's a problem and you really need money. Uh, you don't have to worry about you know the market not being uh, appropriately valued at the time you need to access your funds. So you want to have some cash reserve, but that cash reserve doesn't have to be in U.S. dollars. I think that's too risky. Now it makes sense to have some dollars lying around for you know expenditures that you know you have that are dollar obligations, like your rent, you know, or, or some things that you know are fixed in dollars, and you can have oh I need we have a little bit of money there to cover that, but. You know, money that, you know, you don't really think you're going to need, but you might need, right? It's, you know, that you don't want to have in dollars. You also talk about homeowner options in this new environment. What, what are some of the things that homeowners should be looking for here? Well, I mean, homeowners, you know, if they haven't already sold their homes, which was obviously my preferential thing, and, and if you can't sell your home, which a lot of people can't do right now, uh, but you can still borrow money against your home. There's still, and I think this is going to come to an end, I think, I think by next year this won't be problem because I think the banks and the lenders are going to wise up. They're not going to accept these phony appraisals, and they're you know so. But right now, you know, you might have your house on the market for a year, uh, you know, and you've been trying to sell it for let's say seven hundred thousand, and no one's even offered you more than five hundred thousand for it. But a bank might loan you six hundred fifty thousand dollars against it. And for a lot of people, that might be the only way to salvage that home equity is to get some lender dumb enough to lend you a value that's obviously well in excess of what that house is worth. Do so you recommend um, people do that? You mean? Well, I, I I know that people do that. Now I've talked to them. Yeah. But my idea is, look, if you're going to do that, at least take the money that you borrow and use it to acquire income-producing assets around the world where the income that you acquire gives you sufficient earnings to pay the interest on that debt. And you need to get a fixed rate debt so you can be assured of what those cash flows will be. And that's a way to try to take that home equity and actually turn it into something real as opposed to waiting for it to evaporate, which is what will happen if you just do nothing. You also have a little bit here on uh, kind of how to uh, deal with this coming, the, the other kind of consequences of the economic collapse. We've got about a, a minute to go. Just give people a taste of what others, some of the other consequences will be. 
Well, I mean, the main consequence for Americans is going to be a dramatically diminished standard of living. Uh, for many Americans who are contemplating retirement, I mean, that's going to be, just be a dream. I mean, most Americans are not going to retire. They're going to have to work because they have nothing to retire on. They have no savings. I mean, that's how you retire. You have to save money, and then when you stop working, you live off the the, the spending your savings. But if you don't have any savings, if all you've done is accumulate liabilities, there's no way you can retire. Uh, so Americans are going to be very disappointed you know, in, in, in the quality of life going forward. I mean, the only thing that individuals listening to this program can do is to try to not be among them. And before it's too late, uh, try to get your assets uh, properly repositioned to get rid of dollars and dollar-denominated assets and acquire quality assets around the world and get income streams locked up in foreign currencies to preserve uh, your own quality of life and your own standard of living. Well, thanks so much, Peter. It's been a fascinating and certainly sobering view of what's going on in the world and what people should do with their money. Uh, This has been Peter Schiff, uh, President of Euro-Pacific and author of Crash Proof, How to Profit from the Coming Economic Collapse. And this is your host, Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and we'll be back with you next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.